Money FM 89.3, best of the breakfast huddle. The weekly wrap on Money FM 89.3. Money FM 89.3. Good morning. It's the Breakfast Huddle. Elliot Danka, Bharti Jagdish and Ryan Huang. This is uh, an interesting one, a piece of news that made headlines at the start of the week. Yes, indeed. Parliament passed a law against foreign interference last Monday. This was after a 10-hour airing in the House, three years after it was first raised and three weeks after the extensive, hotly debated legislation was tabled. So it's the Foreign Interference Countermeasures Act, or FICA, and it aims to tackle foreign meddling in domestic policies conducted through hostile information campaigns and the use of local proxies. It's caused a little bit of uh, confusion, people trying to understand this law to counter foreign interference. On the line to help us out is Eugene Tan, Associate Professor of Law, Singapore Management University. Prof, good morning, how are you? Good morning, Alex. Good morning, Barashi. Good morning, Eugene. Let's start (laughs) off uh, by getting you to put on your teacher's hat and explain... (laughs) to us. I mean, it's it's obvious there is, and there have been reports like the Mueller report, you know, talking about foreign interference. But what can you tell us to help us understand this? Well, I think foreign interference is a real threat, not just to Singapore, but to many countries. Um, and so I think the, the need for countries to have the tools, um, you know, the countermeasures, as they call it in FICA, uh, to be able to deal with this very real threat, it's not really in doubt. I, I think the question really resides in how do we go about uh, doing so? You know, how do we ensure, uh, you know, that legitimate activities such as collaborating with uh, foreign partners, you know, whether you're talking about academics, uh, business, uh, cultural groups, uh, NGOs, religious groups, how do you ensure that, you know, those don't fall within foreign interference? So I think, you know, there is a concern with FICA, you know, whether some of these legitimate activity could be curtailed. You know, it raises questions about whether the tools, you know, while they are necessary, you know, that there could be inadequate checks and balances uh, again to check the government when they use it or rather when mm. they misuse it. Um, so these are some of the broad questions. And so it was no surprise that, uh, you know, there was a very impassioned debate in Parliament earlier this week. You yourself have been previously quoted as saying that it is potentially the most powerful law because of the extensive range of powers that it gives authorities. Definitions are an issue here. For instance, people are saying in the public interest is too broadly defined in the law. Foreign principle is too broadly defined as well. So the question really is, while the Ministry of Home Affairs has come out to reassure academics and rights activists that a lot of the examples they have raised won't come under the law, why aren't those reassurances working? You know, Barasi, I think in the end, you know, there is always the view that, you know, assurance in Parliament, while important, just don't go far enough, you know, that it will be important if these assurances somewhat law. Um, and I think when you look at the perspectives of some of these advocates, you know, we, we cannot understand where they're coming from, right? Because when you have a sort of fairly broad scoping of the provisions, which are in a way necessary because if, if law enforcement, you want to have, you know, do not be caught by very narrow definitions, right? You want to have the scope to be able to move. Uh, and particularly because, you know, foreign insurance can take many different forms. So I think one is, of course, the concern that, you know, these assurances are not hard-coded in law. And, you know, the other concern really is, well, you know, we could trust the present government, you know, but there is no guarantee that government in future could abuse, uh, you know, these very significant powers, um, you know, that 
FICA provides. Uh, and we must remember, FICA doesn't operate in isolation. Uh, certainly, the, the, the authorities can use FICA you know, in conjunction with uh, the other traditional legislation, you know, such as the Internal Security Act, that you know, deal with this interference and all. So it's when you put all these different significant powers, you know, the lack arguably of judicial oversight, uh, um, as well as, uh, you know, the, the sort of broad range of activities that FICA could potentially cover. That's why I regard it as, you know, uh, arguably, you know, the most powerful law, you know, that we have on our statute books. Yeah, Prof, it's almost like a Drug Enforcement Act where you can use the Presumption Act uh, in tandem. We've got the Criminal Law Temporary Provisions Act, Internal Security Act. Just to dial it back a little bit, I am curious, what is the statutory test of public interest? Because that does pose, and and the lack of, uh, does pose a a potential uh, Part 3 direction by any minister. And, you know, that in turn leads to a bigger problem. Yeah. So, you know, part three direction essentially is a direction, you know, that the authorities, for example, could issue to a technology, a social media platform, right? So, so this part three direction is actually deal with hostile information campaigns, right, which has become a very popular mode of foreign interference. When you try to create a series of disinformation, you, you try to work up society, you know, before you sort of drop the, the bomb, if I can put it that way. Mm, mm. Um, and, and so the FICA does provide a definition of the public. And I think, again, the concern is that it is broadly scoped. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, but actually, when you look closer at the definition of public interest in FICA, many of the definitions, you know, whether that ranges from threats to national security or, or whether it affects relations between groups of people in Singapore, uh, many of these definitions are not new. They actually come from very different uh, sources of legislation, yeah. including the Constitution. Yeah. Uh, but I think the concern really is when you put all these different uh, definitions put from different legislation together, some people take the view that that results in a very broad scoping, right? Perhaps, uh, potentially enabling the government to overreach, um, you know, such mm. that legitimate activity mm. could be curtailed. So I think that's certainly one concern. Considering we've been talking a lot about the broadness of all these definitions, Minister Shanmugam actually noted that equivalent laws in other countries like Australia and the US have even broader definitions. Your perspective on this, how do you reconcile their society's acceptance of definitions, such definitions, with the reactions of rights activists and academics in Singapore? That's an excellent question, Bharati. I think each society has very different comfort level. I would say that, you know, while Mr. Shamagum is not wrong to say that, um, you know, other countries' legislation, such as Australia, Foreign Interference Transparency Act, you know, scheme for Transparency Scheme Act, you know, while it does have broader provisions, for example, with regards to disclosures, FICA is unique. It is also very extensive, uh, you know, simply because it also provides for tools against uh, hostile information campaigns. Right. So when you put all these different tools together, you know, whereas the other foreign legislation, whether you're looking at US or India, they may, for example, deal with the disinformation campaign during election, right? The, the Australian provision law just deals with disclosures to promote transparency. But our FICA brings together many different tools in one. So if you recall, it also brings in political donations, you know, so political donations we brought under FICA as well. So when you look at the sort of tools that the government is using in FICA, I think that that leads to, you know, the question of whether, you know, we have a very sharpened tool here. And, and, and sharpened tools are fine. You know, I take the view that we shouldn't second guess what the government needs to be able to do its job. 
But the more power that the government has, you know, then I think it needs to be balanced by adequate checks, primarily judicial oversight. Mm, yeah, and we're not trying to obviously go against it. We are questioning as as educated people. And Prof, this brings me to my next one. And off the back of what you just said, as a law advocate, I mean, what does this say in terms of uh, the ability of a person to fairly challenge the government's decision under FICA? I mean, you look at it and I can't find a better choice of words to describe what I see as customizable powers. So if I lose my case, then my only appeal is with the high court. What an honour. But what are the protections in place for an individual here? You know, Alan, I think much of the debate on Monday in Parliament concerned, uh, you know, the lack of uh, judicial oversight. Mm. So FICA doesn't provide for normal appeals, you know, to the High Court. Uh, instead, you know, there will be reviewing tribunals. These are tribunals comprising of uh, three members, and all these uh, tribunals will be chaired by a sitting Supreme Court judge mm-hmm. uh, with two other members who need not be legally trained. Mm. Uh, I suppose there will be foreign interference of experts or technology experts. So depending on which directions are given, I mean, you could either appeal to the minister, you know, but then a subsequent appeal, you know, to the reviewing tribunal. Because the reviewing tribunal is not part of the judiciary. I think that there are concerns about whether, uh, you know, this tribunal yes. will, will be able to act in an independent yes. manner. Um, and, and in FICA, there is also a provision of excuse judicial review, you know, except for procedural requirements. And again, you know, that raises questions about whether that curtailment of judicial review, the ambit of judicial review, uh, you know, again, you know, vest too much discretion in the government. Of course, uh, the government has said that there's a reason there is no judicial review because the process may involve highly sensitive intelligence and any leaks could have serious consequences. But also the question now is, in addition to addressing that, perhaps you could address what now? You know, it looks like it's done and dusted. We have to live with this. What is the recourse available to people today if they find themselves wrongly accused? I think essentially, you know, if they find themselves wrongly accused, you know, that certainly, you know, I appeal to the, to the minister, you know, or to the reviewing tribunal, uh, you know, would be in, you know, I would also suggest, you know, that it may be possible to get the courts, you know, to review the decision. And, and by judicial review, you know, it doesn't mean that the court looks into the merits, right? So, for example, the courts are not going to say whether a stop decision, right, which, which is a direction to a social media platform, you know, to, to stop publishing a particular post, for example. When we talk about judicial review, we're looking at the decision-making process. You know, so, for example, how the decision was made. You know, so it could be, for example, the minister took into account an irrelevant decision or there was bias in the decision. A claim of, you know, the Ulster Clause, right, in, in FICA suggests that judicial review under these grounds may not be possible. But I think we are likely to see in future, you know, some people trying to determine, you know, the extent, the, the Ulster, um, you know, so just because it, in the law doesn't mean that the Ulster is effective, right? It, it could be unconstitutional because we have a, a doctrine in law in which it is unconstitutional to remove judicial power uh, from the courts, you know. So it gets into a fair amount of legalistic arguments, you know. But I think, you know, you you asked what next, right? Um, And I think this is where the rights of passage of FICA, you know, certainly would include the various provisions tested, uh, including the ouster of of the court's uh, jurisdiction in FICA in, in most instances. That certainly will be tested in my view. Prof, uh, final question, and this is an opinion question, to be fair. I want to talk about potentially how you have public policy issues 
which are currently or may in future be part of debate between businesses because Singaporeans need to collaborate with international experts, you know, climate change, trade policy, social issues, uh, maybe even treatment of foreign workers, treatment of businesses and tax policy. It's not as simple as a a foreigner complaining that they can't eat chewing gum here in Singapore, but do our counterparts (laughs) go, I mean, they live with it, but do our counterparts, in your opinion, go into negotiation feeling like maybe they've got one arm tied behind their back? You know, Alec, that's a fair assessment. But when you look at FICA closely and you look at what is it that Singapore needs to thrive, foreign collaborations have always been important. But the harm that it seeks to deal with is so much foreign collaboration, but let's say collaboration that that becomes interference in domestic politics, you know, sort of question of whether, for example, you would talk about uh, uh, local proxies, you know, whether someone is a foreigner, a foreign principal, useful idiot, you know, as they call it in, in, in some circles. So I think in the end, you know, it, it is important for companies to be vigilant, right? Uh, because they have to bear in mind the operational risk that FICA could present. And so seek to deal with this particular risk. Um, and, I, and I think so long, you know, as they are mindful that, that they are not doing the agenda of a foreign principle. Um, you know, the fact that they remain accountable, they keep track of their discussions and negotiations, you know, and ensure that, that whatever they do, you know, would be something that they would have done on their own and that they are not being paid or, or incentivized to act in a manner that is detrimental to the public interest. Mm. It should generally be all right. I, I, I should add that, you know, FICA generally shouldn't upset or affect whatever is going on in terms of collaboration today, mm. Mm. right? It is not intended to have a dampening effect on all those activities, but it does require companies and individuals to be more mindful, right, of the threat of foreign interference. Um, and I think this is where a continuing conversation needs to be had. You know, the, the fact that the law is not passed, you know, doesn't mean that that's the end of the matter. I would argue that it's actually the easiest bit because to deal with foreign interference, not just something that the government can do alone, right? They would need all the different parties, the different stakeholders and, and organizations, you know, to, to be part of that shield. Because each time we have an individual, you know, or organization who allows themselves to be weak for interference, uh, you know, that's, that's the weakest link. So it is really a whole of society asset. FICA only deals with the whole of government. Ultimately, it is for each and every person to recognize the role that we play. Excellent stuff. Thanks very much for that, uh, Eugene. Appreciate your perspectives on this. Eugene Tan, Associate Professor of Law at the Singapore Management University. To listen to more great interviews, download our podcasts at moneyfm893.sg or download our audio app. That's A-W-E-D-I-O. Available on Google Play or the App Store.